0: Korach, which covers Numbers chapter 16 through 18. And we've also heard from the Haftar reading there in First Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. And we've heard some parallel passages from Matthew chapter 26, Mark 14, John 12 and 13. So with this, you can see that one of the great rebellions in Israel's history, the great rebellion of Korach, that's mentioned throughout Scripture, it has its ripples throughout Israel's history because there are the ripples of history that go through and to the time that we read about there in the Haftar reading there in 1 Samuel. So they're having Israel's first tsar or uh, otherwise known as prince, uh, could be translated as king, but his the first prince overlord who is not really a judge is now coming in as Shaul. And you saw that, that picture there right at the first part of it that Shaul had to put down his own rebellion there of uh, Amon was railing up against him, the snake, the Nachash or uh, is uh, Nahash, but Nahash, it's the same word that's used back in Genesis chapter 3 for the snake that encountered uh, the, the woman, Eve, there. So you had the snake was biting at the heels of Israel, looking to injure and destroy. And then you have the betrayal of the Lord as the king. Of Israel, you see it in the next chapter there, and the great passage, the, the really sad passage there, where it says they, are, they have not rejected you, Samuel. The Lord says they have rejected me. Ouch! You know when you're talking about the the God of Israel was being thrown out of the job. It's really quite a a sad picture of that. So what we saw in the parallel passages that we saw in the apostolic writings in the Gospels is a similar sort of thing, is you have the king, the coming king who is going to be sitting on the throne, the eternal king, the sit on the throne of Israel, was being rejected. Yet in the midst of this, what do you see as the response? The response of Moshe, the response of Aharon back in the passage we're looking at, back in Numbers. And what was, you saw the response of Yeshua. And Yeshua got up, and it's the depiction there of kind of called the Last Supper, the, that last Seder, got up and took the role on of a servant and was washing the feet of his students. You saw the response of Moshe, which a combination of you know, don't let Korah get away with this, and also you know, please have, have mercy on these folk and turn back, you know, turn back Korah from this, from the direction you're going in, because you're going to just end up taking down all of Israel in the process. So, one of the things we're going to take, take a look at here today is uh, specifically. Uh, some items in Numbers chapter 17. So Numbers 17 was talking about the Aaron's rod that budded. Now you you see the, the, the picture here. So what is it? They took all the rods. They wrote their names on them for the leaders. They put them in the in the the uh, tabernacle, and then. What did you see? So
1: what are the staffs? The staffs are dead. They're not a living tree. Yet, they budded. That's very interesting. Because
0: one of the things that we'll see from, we saw from just the the passages we already looked at in the Gospels and some others, maybe it makes you think of something else. You know, you will know them by their fruits. Because how was Aharon known by? He was known as the one whose staff, who, and that was the sign of leadership, his staff, his leadership, budded and produced fruit, in this case almonds. And almonds, you see as a picture later on in the prophets as being akin to the um, because remember, when we went through the description of the menorah, you know, like the menorah, that's a, <laughs> a copy of one, didn't quite look like that in the tabernacle, but you know, a facsimile of it. it doesn't have all the great ornamentation that you had in the menorah. Because when remember the description we've gone through in the menorah, what did the, uh, you could say, the reflectors on the lamps look like? Almonds. So you get this picture of why you see then later on in the prophets where the eyes of God are likened to almonds. So you got olives which provide the light and almonds like the the those likened together like the eyes of God. So here you've got these budding almonds showing who is the Lord actually have his eyes on as the leader, the one who is going to go between heaven and earth you have Moshe yes but the one who's taking the offerings from the people and taking the people toward God that would be Aharon so you have in both of these chapters you see that Moshe and Aharon are saying these people didn't just put themselves up as being king here they didn't set themselves up as this the Lord specifically chose them for this role so, you see in this particular passage that we're looking at here, Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 through 20, and it mentions that beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's a it's a very sobering comment because the
1: picture of comes to you in sheep's clothing. What does what do we get from the image of a sheep? Remember from the, um, the prophecy in Isaiah 53? Like sheep led to the slaughter. Things that, it's an animal that
0: has great value to you, but is easily led. You know, the idea of the shepherd leading the sheep. The sheep follow the shepherd. And then you see in Jeremiah, and then you see it again with Ezekiel, we're railing against the shepherds. Why? Because the sheep follow the shepherd. The shepherd is supposed to protect the sheep. But what are the shepherds doing that are over the sheep? They're not leading them to green pastures and besides still waters, like you see, like you see in the 23rd Psalm. No, these shepherds are basically bilking and uh, scattering the flock, creating a mess rather than bringing them together. So this picture that you have these false prophets, so one of the things in the warnings that Yeshua was giving, that you will know them by their fruits. So this specifically, he mentioned this, this passage, you will know them by their fruits several times. And in this particular case, he's warning against the false prophets, those that... Come to you, they seem like they're all innocent. They seem like they can hurt nothing. Uh, Yes, Alex, I have a comment over here.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. They they weren't they weren't kidding around about the false prophets and wiping them out. Yeah. Yeah And: Yeah. And something also interesting about this
0: with the sheep's clothing, but inwardly ravenous as wolves, is that it gives you that, that picture that something good, like a prophet, could be easily something that will just turn out to be something that will turn on you. And that is should
1: always be a warning to always be watching am am i listening to a sheep to a shepherd
0: or am i listening to a wolf that's trying to pose as a sheep or a shepherd what what am i actually listening to and There have been many examples throughout history of people that have just gone down a wrong path because they have not paid attention to a lot of warning signs along the way. And what is, when we're talking about prophets, prophets are supposed to what? Speak for God. And God is supposed to speak through them. So how do we know what if God is speaking We'll be getting to that in Deuteronomy, but there's a couple of great tests there in chapter 18 and chapter 13. One of those related to prophets. And if they are speaking something that is in line with the word of God, okay, you're saying, yeah, this is consistent with it. It, We need to be our own, (laughs) so you say that, uh, originalists or textualists where Like a judge, we say, what is our foundation? And any new evidence or things that are being presented in here, is this consistent with the pattern that we have before? Or is this inconsistent? And if it's inconsistent, we should pay closer attention. It may turn out to be, okay, God is actually working. We need to have it in in line there that like Gamaliel, that we can be taught by heaven presenting us something that we're not used to. But
1: we need to be careful if it is something different than we're expecting. Yes, Carrie. Yes, <laughs> yes. pay attention to what. <laughs>
2: hmm right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you bring up something, uh, a point there about um, paying attention, and also something that we'll be hitting on here soon, uh, talking about how you can get some help with this effort of uh,
1: staying alert. So, Lee, Diane, were you wanting to uh, make a comment or something? Yeah.
2: Yes, go ahead. Okay. Yes. A lot
1: Mm. Yes. Thank you for uh, commenting on that. Now, related to this passage there that
0: um, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they are, raven- inwardly are ravenous wolves from Matthew 7.15. In that same passage, which uh, goes for, like from 15 down through uh, 23 or so, a section there in verses 21 through 23 which says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter many will say to me on that day lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform any miracles and then i will declare to them i never knew you depart from me
1: you who practice lawlessness. And that's a quotation there in the last part from Psalm 6, 8. Now, what does that sound like? I'll give you a hint. It, um, from the last part of Numbers 18. Numbers 18, number 17. What happened to those incense
0: to the censors? What happened to those censors that they, the, the rabble rousers, the rabble that we've talked about before, the ones that were rising up against Moshe, saying, Hey, who put you in charge? What happened to those censors? It said, interestingly enough, it said, They, those censors, the, the, the incense holders,
1: were holy they were dedicated to the lord yet the people that were holding them were not dedicating
0: themselves to the lord because they weren't trusting who the lord put in charge so what ended up happening to those censors to those incense holders
1: reused yes they were reused repurposed became part of the altar so, in a
0: sense there, you may be working in God's kingdom, but your things that you do will go on ahead into the kingdom, but you yourself won't. Remember something else that Yeshua said to that effect? You know, you go out and you make disciples, but they'll go in, but you won't. So, that's one of those really sobering aspects for that you are thinking, hey, I am right along with God, and god and the kingdom of heaven may use you but you yourself won't go in because yeah you're doing stuff for the kingdom and the kingdom advances but it may be in spite of you not because of you Uh, and
2: yeah um i was thinking that the censors were inanimate objects Mm. and the lord said i can make Children of God <laughs> out of these stones.
1: Yeah, and rocks. So, yeah.
2: Right? So, uh, you know, it, it just shows you that He can, he can use an inanimate object easier than, than us with our choice that we choose and the things that we do. And it's humbling to, to know. I use the sensors and not those
0: people.
1: The second passage we'll take a look
0: at here is in Matthew chapter 12, verses uh, 33 through 35. This is another section where he's talking about you will know them by their fruits. So Matthew chapter 12,
1: verses 33, 35. Either make the tree good
0: or its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak of what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. So, and it goes on about careless words people spake and having every accounting of them and will be brought into judgment. So one of those key things that we look at with this, quote, brood of vipers, these are people that are, were continually attacking Yeshua, attacking, attacking, attacking. And the picture that Yeshua is teaching there is that these words of attack are coming out of a heart that is attacking the out of the heart are where these words are coming which should make you think of something else back to that passage that's talked about in mark chapter 7 where you know people were thinking that oh this is just talking about uh, you know th- as the king james renders it you know thus he declared all foods clean but the context of it and the actual language of the passage is talking about well out of the heart, that's the punchline of the, of the parable of Mark chapter 7. Out of your heart is where these things come. So you might be meticulously following through with a ceremony which has a good discipleship lesson for it that be careful the things that go into your mouth. Be careful of those things that go into your mouth. You need to distinguish between, just like Leviticus says that we've read there back in chapter 13 and repeated again and again, that you need to discern between the clean, the tahor, and the tame, between the clean and the unclean. The things that are fit to approach the presence of God and those things that are unfit to approach the presence of God. So you take that practice into your everyday life. You are meticulous about the things that God says are on the food list and meticulous about the things that God says are on the not food list. So you're meticulous about that. But are you also meticulous about the things that actually go into who you are in your core to change your character on the inside? Are we meticulous about that as well? That's what that lesson is all about, which... Is part of that lesson we've talked about before with Acts chapter 10, that when those people of the nations are brought out of their old life, their old life, and they're brought into a new life, where there is a distinction between the things that are common out there and the things that are of the kingdom of God, then they're no longer the outside anymore. So that is the lesson of clean and unclean, is to distinguish that there are things that are outside the kingdom of God and the things that are inside the kingdom of God. Make that distinction.
1: But don't lose the lesson while following the lesson. That's one of the key
0: items to remember, which is the punchline of Mark chapter 7 there. So um i guess the question might be is you know do you have a good gut to digest the word of god or are you just like a straight gut where it just goes right in and right out and makes no difference in your life whatsoever so taking that metaphor and beating it so the other passage where yeshua talks about the uh you will know them by their fruits, is in Luke chapter 6,
1: verses 41 through 45. So in Luke chapter 6, 41 through 45, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice
0: the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye. When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly the take the speck that is in your brother's eye. For there is no tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth what is good. The evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Very similar to what you see in Mark chapter 7, right? the The same message here as was there. So some lessons from this are... You know, you don't be the upokrate, as we get the word hypocrite from, or an actor, someone who is playing a role, which is what the root of hypocrite is. upocrate, is an actor, someone who's playing a role. But there's also this aspect of you know, don't sidestep your problems and then rail against other people who have those problems, which is that teaching of You look and you're looking for the speck in someone else's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. And you probably hear people talking a lot about projection these days and goes back to an old psychological principle related to projection. But one of the interesting things is uh, what um, has seen in some modern, modern times about the principle of projection is a very interesting comment from one recent paper from 97, which says people who uh, both avoid thinking about having threatening personality traits and deny possessing them or repressors also readily infer those traits in others' behavior or from others' behavior. So the interesting picture that we have there is just like the speck and the log. Do you actually see what is happening in your own life And then are you then railing against what is happening in someone else's life when you yourself have that particular problem?
1: But we go on further with this and look at this passage of taking the log out of your own eye is really about this
0: this message of correction and reproof. That correction and reproof is in the realm of the wise and the righteous. And that correction and reproof is to be a part of your whole life as someone who is wise and righteous. For example, we have the golden rule is based upon living up to mankind, what we get from Genesis chapter 1, where they're B'Tselem Elohim, or you're made in the image of god and you were supposed to be following the messiah which we get from hebrews chapter one here in the passage from second corinthians chapter four verse four that's the mashiach is the image of god so and then the passage that we just read in john 12 and 13 was about the picture of what god is really like lived out for us so you take this picture and you live it out. So we see that again in like Genesis chapter 6 during the, the flood and Genesis 6 through 9 where it talks about that you have to now be careful and to make notice of those people who want to kill somebody else because why? They are acting against someone who is in the image of God and representing what God has created, which is why we care about life. We who follow and are uh, the ones who adore the creator of heaven and earth are all about adoring life, defending life, defending those who need defending, defending those who can't defend themselves. That's a part of what people who desire life are all about it's what distinguished the people of god from you know the roman and greek worlds the roman and greek worlds i'm sure you've either read some of the original works or a lot of renditions that have been done of the the greek and roman dramas and plays and literature of the time period extremely brutal you see examples of that, not only in the Gospels, but also in like, the, the Book of Acts. You remember where you know, Paul is hauled between, uh, in front of a magistrate in a particular town, and you know as long as it didn't involve a crime, they didn't care that the leader of the local synagogue was being beaten down right in front of him. He didn't care because it wasn't, quote, a crime. So he just, eh, eh, not, my, not my issue anymore. So just turn away from it. But the people of God, you know, you don't turn away from evil as it's being represented in the world. Because that's one of the things that you see the prophets rail against. Rail against Israel. They just became totally desensitized to the great evil that was going on, oppressing the orphans, the widows, the children. Those that could be stepped on were stepped on. And people who should have spoken up didn't speak up. And that is what you see the prophets railing against is are you paying attention to the great injustice that's going on and why should you care except that your leader is the creator of heaven and earth. So thus you have respect for when it says that he made man and woman in the image of God, so it's like have respect for the things that God has put his stamp upon as being, hey, this is a special hallmark of it. So you see also uh, that this golden rule that we have about respect for those made in the image of God, the Betzelem, Elohim, is reflected in Leviticus 19, 17 through 18, which is the bigger, it's the context of the Golden rule, you know, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. But the whole passage here, starting in verse seventeen of Leviticus nineteen, says, "You shall not hate your fellow countryman in your heart. You shall surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself." So. What does loving your neighbor as yourself mean? It is expressed here in a lot, of, a lot of detail. First of all, do not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. So you're not, you don't have this, it's not like, okay, well, as long as, I, as long as I don't beat him in the face, then I guess I'm loving him because I don't want myself to get beaten in the face. So uh, thus, I won't beat him in the face. Great. Well, have you lived that out? No. Because if you roll back, it's like if in your, if in your mind you're giving him a beatdown, well, that, there's a problem there because that's, you know, do you want your neighbor then to be just sitting there smiling at you as he's giving you a mental beatdown? No. We want there to be transparency between us so that when we're having – uh, conversation or interacting with other people that you know it's just not Mr. Upocrate on the other side that the actor just sitting there smiling at you while he's just planning your demise, yeah, just thinking about ways he's gonna do you in. No, you don't have that hate for your fellow countrymen in your heart, but. It goes on, you shall surely reprove them. We're going to get into that reproving here in a little bit. So you don't have any sort of hatred for them, but you are going to, say, point things out. Hey, things are going astray. And you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge. Okay, so there you go. You're correcting your brother, but you're not now becoming the Uh, judge of all the earth because in the end it talks about vengeance is mine and to those whom the lord delegates the uh the vengeance and it talks about in the torah there about the leaders the elders the representatives of the people and then down later in time you see that it talks about that God raises up powers on the earth, what they to as it says, bear the sword. Well, bear the sword to keep the peace, but also keep in mind that the one bearing the sword may not care about you whatsoever. Maybe just like those Romans. Yeah, they're they're keeping the peace. It's not major riots and stuff going on right there, but they'll turn a blind eye when stuff is going on that's shady. There were people have hatred in their hearts against other people. So yeah, it might keep the, the general uh, rioting down, but the violence that goes on inside of people will just continue on and on and on. So let's uh, take a look about the, This a little bit more on the aspect of the, Reproving your neighbor. And one of the lessons that we get out of Numbers chapter 17 is about Aaron's rod. Is that the Lord is showing where he's placing his authority. So let's now take a closer look at one of the interesting pictures that we have of the passages we were just looking at in the apostolic writings and compare them back to what we've seen in the Torah passage we were just looking at. Now, when we were going through just a, a few chapters ago talking about when the spies went in to survey the land, we had mentioned that there was a parallel. There's a parallel between the 12 spies and entering the land and the 12, quote, spies down in Egypt. Because remember, it just seems so bizarre when you're going through in Genesis, reading the account of Yosef and his brothers down in Egypt. It just seems weird, this game that he's playing, you know, calling them spies. Spies are spies. Well, a lot of people have noted that this picture of the spies Going into the land and Yosef calling his brothers spies. There's a lot of parallels, and one of the key ones is there is what we had seen in the previous passage about the bad report. So there's parallels that we have here between the brothers accusing, um, being accused of being spies by Yosef and. God and Moshe commissioning these 12 representatives of the tribes to go into the land, and as we saw in the parallel passage in the the Gospels about Yeshua commissioning the 12 and then the 70 to go out as spies of a sort into the land. Now let's go on a little bit further and take a look at this. This, I, this picture of the bad report, because this comes further into our picture of Korach and what is happening with Korach and his rebellion. Now, this bad report, as it talks about with Yosef when he brought a bad report to his brothers, a lot of people have noticed for hundreds of years that, this, that it's the same word that's used. Dibah is a, a very uncommon word in the Torah. It's only used twice here in these two passages of Genesis 37 and then back, oh, in Numbers when it's talking about the spies going into the land. This word of debah, which is translated as bad report, evil report, etc. Now, strictly speaking, the lexicons have it as that uh, Deba is... Uh, referring to defaming an evil report about infamy or slandering someone. So, you have a picture that Yosef is defaming his brothers to his father and creates and, and gets this anger going back at him. Now, when you fast forward into Numbers, you have those 10 spies defame the land, to fame the place where the Lord is going to send them. So, what happens in the accusation that the, the brothers give this would be you know, 10 brothers give to the father, Yaakov,
1: about what happened to Yosef? What, the, what did they show Yosef, or show Yaakov, their father? His robe? as they pulled the, pulled the robe. Yeah, And then what was on the road? It talked about being
0: torn by beasts. Torn by beasts. Yes. Torn by beasts. And what was the accusation
1: that the ten spies said about the land? What was going to happen to them when they went in? That the land would what? Chomp, 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 devour them.
0: The land would devour them. So people have noticed this for hundreds of years of saying, hey, this is a, this is a very interesting parallel we got going on here about the, the bad reports, this defaming going on. Now, this defaming that now defaming is bad because what its core message is that you are taking someone's fame their character what they're known for and you're doing what d De- and is what the the prefix we use to mean what bring down so their fame you defame them you bring their fame down you bring their name down you lower their name down now when you see what the outcome by their fruits you will know them did the brothers what was their, the fruit of their
2: name? Selling Yosef
1: into Egypt. That was the fruit of their name. What was the fruit of the, tw- of the ten?
0: Their spies, fast forwarding on into the Numbers time period, when they
1: came back out of the land. What was their fame? The reputation and what was brought down there
2: die in the wilderness <laughs> die in
1: the wilderness so very interesting picture of this
0: this <laughs> being pulled out of the land where they were really destined to go and that their generation was going to be brought to an end mm-hmm. so the picture that you have of this
1: Bad report. The 10 spies were saying, Hey, the people, they're too big. The walls are too high. We can't do it. But what were the two? What were the two spies who were faithful? What was their good report?
2: Gosh. We can do it. God is with you. You
1: can do it. God is with us. We can do it. So that's the key
0: qualifier. It's not like you know, we ourselves probably be in the same boat as the other 10. We're, we're not going to be able to do it. But God with us, yeah, we can do that. Yes, go ahead.
3: It was even more than that, mm. I feel, because they said God will take care of it. They didn't say us and God. Mm. They say, God he God's will fight got for us. This. He will fight for yes. us. He will protect us. There's, yeah. there's not a whole lot of ego involved in that. You mm. know what I mean?
1: Yes. Yeah, that's a, a very good observation in that.
0: Now, when you fast forward into when Yeshua was talking about this, it's very interesting that he also was used, not, you could say, the bad reports. But he uses this, this phrase called the evil generation or the uh the generos, the generos generation, which is equivalent to the Hebrew raw, which is usually translated as bad. It could also be translated as evil, but it just means bad. Not good. Not tov or for good, but bad. So this bad generation. So he was talking to the bad generation. And mentions it a couple of times there in Matthew chapter 12, verse 45. And then wicked generation, which is the same word, it's the uh, uh, Poneros in Greek for uh, generation in Luke eleven twenty-nine, And in that passage, it's very interesting because he says, you know, this evil generation, this Poneros generation,
1: it seeks for a sign, but something greater. Then Solomon and Jonah. And they're, the only sign they're going
0: to get is the sign of Yonah. And then it goes on to say specifically what sign is related to. And it talks about Solomon. Because what? The queen of the south, the queen of Ethiopia, came to
1: Solomon for the wisdom. And he says someone greater than Solomon is here. So you're looking for wisdom? even. Solomon, someone greater with greater wisdom, is here.
0: And then with Yonah, Yonah preached what? Repentance. And someone greater than Yonah is here. So you think of what one of the greatest hallmarks of the story of Yonah is. He goes to a superpower of the time, the capital of the superpower, Nineveh, and gives the message that he was given to,
2: to say. It's going to
1: be overthrown. You're toast. But what do the people do? Even though there was no, if you, if
0: you repent, then it will go away. But if you don't, you're toast. No, the message was, you are toast. But what do the people do? They repent and it talks about repenting even to putting the sign of repentance on their animals just say hey we are really really repenting here turning around here so that picture is that wow people that don't even really know who god is when they're confronted with the power of god will actually turn around yet The people to whom the oracles
1: of God are given, do you turn around when you're presented with, hey, now is the time to
0: turn from your ways that you were going that were like the rest of the world, turn back,
1: turn back to God and be washed clean? So you get the picture of Jonah to repent and with Solomon that expressed in Yeshua, you know, I am the truth and the life. So
0: when we look back at this this picture that we have of Korach, yeah, it's a rebellion. Yes, it's like the aspects of just like it mentions in chapter sixteen of Numbers, where it's like they're pleading with Korach. It's like you were given a very close relationship with God to carry the most Uh, sacred things that are really communicating this connection between heaven and earth, where the dwelling place of God is here amongst the people, and God is putting his presence here.
1: This is your role. You've got a front row seat to this. But you want the priesthood too? So that's one of those... (laughs) great reminders
0: that um, just as like the Apostle Paul talks about, each part of the body has its own function. And none should be disdained for how quote insignificant it is. And none should be lifted up high just because of how quote significant it is.
1: Because you see the two great leaders, Moshe, Yeshua, the one who spoke with God,
0: and then the prophet like Moshe, the one, the prophet, who
1: was to come, the son of God, that those two, when they were even had betrayal on their doorstep, what did they do? They entreated. They showed great humility, not trying to say, well, don't you know who I am? How dare you? You are
0: presented with that in so many words with what happens as it's recorded in numbers here that is basically communicated from heaven how dare you do that because grounding, opening up, fire coming out, that's, it communicates it without having to say,
1: try to puff out your chest so to speak to say how great you are as a person.
0: As Yeshua told in one of his parables, you know, don't try to seat yourself at the head of the table because if you do, then the head of the banquet may come and, uh, no, take you, move you to a lesser seat. No, take the lesser seat and then if the head of the banquet says, oh, what are you doing sitting there? Come on, come on, sit up at the head of the table. That is the approach of the people who are in the realm of God, no matter what role they're in, from the, quote, janitor of the house of God all the way up to the high priest of the house of God. You know, that, as, it, as it, the apostle talks about, you know, have this mind
1: like in Christ, that what? He took on the role of a servant. He lowered himself in the process. Yes, uh, Alex. I find that Moses was a humble man. It's yes. just kind of hard to believe and didn't speak well. And uh, uh, so there are the different roles, no matter what position you're in. David was big appetite for women and killing and everything, but certain things he was not going to do. Yahweh had other plans for him. You, you know, just you can't do it all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Are there any other thoughts as we close things out here
0: today? So hopefully we see how this testimony is really woven. It's a consistent message throughout all of these passages here of what heaven's trying to do in reconnecting with earth, what people's ideas are on trying to grab for, for power rather than seeking after the true source of power. You know, the true the true source of power, like Moshe, now Aaron, are working with the one who created heaven and earth. Could have broken the back of Egypt just like that, like the snap of a finger's even less than that, and Egypt would have been gone. But rather it was just nudge, 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 because of the picture, as it mentioned several times throughout Exodus, was to show who was really in charge of heaven and earth? There wasn't these deities out there—the the ones of the Nile and of the sun and everything else. Rather, it was the creator of heaven and earth. Yes, uh, Carrie.
3: Um, that's a little bit different topic, I guess, than this. But um, something that was really standing out to me was um, the fact that God really changed tactics. Hmm. You know, I. To me, it seems obvious why Cora had to be dealt with the way that he was, mm. but he did offer a test for them. Mm-hmm. That he did, and um, and then something that occurred to me was, um, you know, people are just people, mm. you know, we all just deal with things differently, and having those sensors um, beat out and having them basically kind of on display, really, as what you know, the repurposing. Um I just kind of wonder if maybe even having that in their vision is what incited the rest of the people to get upset again. Hmm. Like it, you know, like it, in here it says it was a warning, but I'm just wondering if maybe that's not how the people responded to it. And you know, and then of course God, you know, re- reacts again with more death. Um and, and then we have the picture of Aaron, you know, as the Messiah, the mediator going out with the smoke to save the rest of the people from the plague. Yes. But God really, he really changes tactics with the staffs thing. He really does. Um, it's almost like shifting from reactive to proactive. And he actually says, he actually yes. says something about it. He yes. says, this will cease the mutterings of the people it's almost like he's saying, all right, this is my final offer. We're going to do this a completely different way. We're going to head it off. And instead of waiting for the next group to get, you know, deceived by their own pain or whatever, um, we're just going to say, look, this is what it is. This is what I chose. This is a way that you guys cannot deny however hard you want to try. And in that move, he really saves the group. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a different tactic. He, he headed them off from more death. And it just kind of stood out to me. And I just, I mean, far be it for me to think that God ever makes mistakes, I, I wouldn't go that far. But to me, I just wonder, you know, what was he thinking through this process? And did he change that? Because he saw futility, maybe, in what his previous tactics were for this situation.
0: Oh, but perhaps maybe it's... Um- just trying to make it more clear what this, the situation was. Yeah, you know, it's like I was, I was talking with, with somebody uh, earlier this week, and they were um, asking about you know, you, you see that Yeshua a number of times used this, uh, this euphemism of death as sleep, that they're asleep. But finally, he, you know, Yeshua, especially with the raising of Lazar, just had to say, Look, he's dead. Because they just weren't getting it. So eventually you could see that sometimes you just have to speak plainly. And, and we even see that with that whole section of uh, John 13 through 17. It's like, okay, now I'm just finally going to speak plainly here. No more parables. Uh, it's just going to be laying the whole thing out very plainly. And you're right. That's probably what was going on here. It's like, okay, if you if you can't see this, of the fact that Moshe and Aharon are you know, truly, they just didn't get in their heads to go do this, that there is actually purpose, and heaven is actually saying, look, they are the ones that really need to lead this. Yeah, you're right. That's just have to get more obvious with it. But again, it's probably at the end, um, the people still end up rebelling. So, but at that point, you're, there's no excuse anymore. It's like, oh well, I missed the the parable. I didn't quite get it. And it's like it was made extremely clear. So um, you will either be just totally out the door, or just finally accept. Oh, okay, that's what it is. And I've at, had a conversation recently about that, related to the day of the Lord. And um, it perhaps maybe is it's a, the day of the Lord is a lot like that situation with the the staff and the censors and all that where eventually you're making it clear to the whole world that there truly is a creator of heaven and earth there's no games anymore about you know this deity and that deity and this preacher and that preacher and this book and that book all that is gone because you actually have the return of the mashiach you have the power of god being displayed on earth and then at that point it's like all right, now all the lies are gone. Now you're just going to have to make the final decision, just say, look, you know, which way do you really want to go? Do you want to go with the creator of heaven and earth? Or do you just prefer the world the way it was before? And we've, we've seen historically that, that some people will, will just um, latch on to what they've had before even if it was bad, even if it was this and that, because it's more comfortable, and it's it's can be a, a really a heartbreaking thing when you're trying to deal with a family member or a friend that just won't let the past go, even if it was really bad, because it's just more comfortable because uh, the alternative is uncertain, and uh, that. That's a a picture of where the we call it faith, the trust in God really comes in. You're you're kinda of launching out into space of, well, will the Lord catch me with this new life? The the better way to actually live? Will the Lord catch me on this? But I'm like venturing out in the desert without food, without water, is the Lord gonna catch me? Yes.
3: Well, and I just, I, I just was thinking that, and it, for me, it just really showed the heart of God because yes. it was like, all right, there's a lot of death happening right here. We're going to try a different thing so that you know, so He really saved them that way. And I think like you're bringing up the Day of the Lord. Um, you know, there's a certain time period where even the deceivers put away so that yes. He can't speak to anyone. You know, so yeah, it is. It's, um, but I think it's you know, it's that heart of God where He still wants the relationship with us. And he can't have that if we're wiped out. It doesn't work, so
0: yeah. Which which is why um, a friend of mine and I are going through Ezekiel right now, and that's one of the the, the key things we went talked about that a um, few you know, weeks ago, talking about Ezekiel thirty four and about how the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. And as you move on, and you see that even in Ezekiel thirty six, right there in the beginning of it, you see that even as Actually, there's the same word used again, that debah, that the Israel, by the way they're behaving, is deba the, the, the character of the Lord in front of the nations. But even in spite of that, the Lord's mercy is like, you know, I will gather together because of the promises and for the really the sake of the entire world, um, the nations together and reform this thing.